0: So, Dan, it's been too long since yeah. we've we've cracked open this tome of yeah. easily discernible knowledge. Um, we've been, as you say, distracted by anarchism for too long. And uh, we're making our return, finally, to uh, Karl Marx's Capital. Yeah. Wow, what a book. Yeah. Well, no, I think. Let's hear it. I, I, think, I think reading Capital has become too easy
1: oh really everybody's doing it oh sure okay there's so many resources out there so uh, demystify it yeah, yeah, and make, sure. make it the simple and <laughs> enjoyable experience it was always intended to be sure sure who's going to restore the intellectual cachet of <laughs> being the person who has read capital i'll let you know it's, when i see him. <laughs> who is going to do the work of Remystifying. Remystifying. Bring, bringing forth the, well, the much-needed obscurity. Oh, I see. <laughs> Maybe
0: I do see <laughs> them. Putting it in front and center. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll tackle the remystifying. You tackle the uh, recentering <laughs> okay. and bring it back onto the world stage. Um <laughs> We're back. We're reading Capital. It's good to do this. Uh, which section did we read? I just wrote down Capital 3, but obviously we're not on Volume 3 yet. We're barely past the 40-page like, mark of Capital volume 1. Mm-hmm. We read Section 2, Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 1. Or Section 3. No, yeah, Section 3. <laughs> Jesus, God. Section 3, the form of value or exchange value. Form of value or exchange value. A um, lot going on here. You know what, Dan, just to start us off, as we've said before, Royal Listener, we are reading um, as kind of a guide from David Harvey's Companion to Reading Capital, and the section that Harvey has on Section 3 is... It starts out with a pretty great line, and, and may I read it, just please, for the listener? Please, please, please. <laughs> He says, this section, and this is how he starts it, this section incorporates, in my view, a lot of boring material that can all too easily mask the significance of the argument being made. Mark sometimes puts on an accountant's hat, and the result is a form of exposition that can be tedious, to the extreme, <laughs> tedious to the extreme, I think is a little a little uh, harsh, a little a little harsh. harsh. <laughs> um, especially for a guy writing a book about this book. Um, okay. I'm sure there are greater heights of
1: tedium to come. So, oh, absolutely, <laughs> I'm
0: sure. Um, but yeah, this section um, had a lot of fluff, and as I was just saying to you, I think that when I read it the first time, I was kind of I tried to read every single bit and understand every single bit to the best of my ability. And I was getting really frustrated with the like... He brings back linen and he brings back the coat and it's... Uh, our old friend's... Our old friend's friend's. coat and linen. And he really, as David Harvey says, puts on an accountant's hat and it was a little... I think I should have just my first time through, given it a more cursory read, yeah, um, and gotten to the end to see the points that he was trying to make instead of how he was making them. If that makes sense. I think sense.
1: that's the case for anything. Whenever you're reading anything that's particularly complicated or difficult, like, mm-hmm. read it through and just absorb as much as you can, and then, um, and then you can go back and start seeing it in its totality, as opposed to like yeah. getting so bogged down in the moment that you're reading that you're like, yeah. I have to work out what the hidden mystery of this piece of terminology yeah, is. This, exactly. what does he mean by this? What do you mean Why by is he reiterating? Is he just re- reiterating his point five times, or is yeah, yeah, or is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or is yeah, yeah, or is there some great nuance that's being developed? Mm. is the dialectic unfolding and I'm just too stupid to work out what it is.
0: I'm part of a greater dialectic that I think only God can see, Dan. So that's what I'll say about that. Um,
1: <laughs> at least you know your place in the world. You <laughs> know my it? place. It is
0: part of the dialectic, that's all I need to know. Um, so what is he trying to do here? He's trying to do a couple of things, but he uh, very casually says at the beginning, right, I'm going to, again, do something that nobody else has ever done, or at least done correctly, which is explain Never the before money for any man
1: done anything. The more <laughs> (laughs) things that no one else has done yeah i know pretty impressive i mean if they'd had a guinness book of world records (laughs)
0: yeah yeah. most time spent faffing about talking about linen (laughs) um but yeah no he's trying to explain the money form and how that relates to exchange value and to value um under capitalism and kind of and i think we'll get into this kind of a bit of a historical argument as well there to how it relates to other modes perhaps
1: yes it's certainly the beginnings of a sort of like truth to what is capitalism what isn't capitalism it's difficult this distinction between the sort of that that harvey brings up between the historical arguments made and the logical arguments made Mm. and whether there is any quality in the historical arguments Mm. is sort of dubious and questionable but um how does that sort of the logic of the argument that's being made um real things about history or give us a a way to look at history Mm. Uh, some of this this Food for thought, something Richard to bother. that, indeed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're quite right. that He's trying to transition us from some of these elementary pieces of terminology that he's introduced us to um, and sort of move toward or reveal or explain the emergence mm-hmm. or ex- explain the necessity to capitalism of um, the money form of value. Mm-hmm. And there are many mile markers along the road. Yeah, oh my god! Quite, <laughs> oh my god! Quite a number of forms in which value can take.
0: <laughs> you got your relative forms. You got your abstract forms. You got your double decker forms. I mean, I think to double forms. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I think just just to kind of sum up what he's trying to do, without getting into the weeds a lot, as we kind of have to do to explain this, though, because Mm. it would seem, I think, too cursory. It's to just kind of say that he's making the point that in a developed market society, right, um, one commodity eventually uh, replaces all others as a principle of exchange, which is that eventually right now is money, right? And I mean, even since Marx's time, this has gone through a million different changes because it was gold, and then it was like gold standard paperbacked currency. Gold standard paper backed currency, paper gold, <laughs> gold currency. It was paper-backed. Don't worry about it. Um, and then you know, eventually in the seventies, everyone just kind of gave up on that. And was like, fuck it, free float everything. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's just money. Um, but it. This is again where it gets into the is this a historical argument or not? Because it's like it is easy to see how if you're just trading in kind way back in the day, that Marx's point is that eventually one of those commodities, whether it be gold or coins or whatever. Um, goes on to be like the standard bearer for kind of like representing in a material way value in a market when, which is what we're left with under capitalism
1: yeah although i think i think it would be fair to say that there are numerous of the historical transitions and changes that have sure. to happen kind of thing sure um which we know and we've discussed before and come across the historical mm. transitions <laughs> <laughs> need to, listen to capitalism <laughs> um not necessarily a additive natural process but like a, Mm. a stark change in some respects. I Certainly. Yeah. Marx is here really quite of Really what he's doing here is, in some respects, explaining the specificity of capitalism. Obviously, mm. it's a book called Capitalism. It's about what capitalism <laughs> is, but it's definitely also about what capitalism is not. <laughs> and there are numerous sta- sections in this where he... Um, there There is definitely a point in this where the logical transition to a capitalist form of value, which is the substance of what is represented when commodities exchange. Mm. We do get to a point where there is a capitalist version of that comes along. Mm. sort of emerges from the argument, which has to begin with a very simple type of exchange and then sort of develops into more complex and complicated forms. Mm. Mm. I kind of want to try and work out how it is that we've sort of, We've gotten to this po- well. We've gotten to this point from from the development of the argument so far. I suppose. I mean, there's a, there's a certain portion of this sort of like triad of pieces of terminology that that this chapter is particularly focused on, mm. and it's particularly focused on um, the sort of like emergent quality of exchange value and how it is related to and comes out of these other two pieces of terminology, use value and value. Sure. So sort of coming back to David Harvey's depiction of the sort of like dialectical triangle to some extent, Mm. like he's talking about exchange value, but he's talking about how exchange value is, the nature of exchange value comes out of this sort of like relationship between these other two terms. Mm. And so many of these qualities are all... um, emergent from a relationship there are so many bits of sort of marx's analysis where he's like well i mean like with with a commodity for example you can't what he says you you can't have a single commodity and look at it and say read into it what its value is but at the same time under capitalism we do know that all things that trade as commodities have this thing about called value Mm. Uh, we know that they have some kind of um objective quality and to even to have a capitalist economy, you you have to have have that idea in place, right? Mm. I mean, we were discussing this beforehand. Like under feudalism, say, or under another historical mode of production, sort of trades may well have happened between people. They may have bartered for um, bartered and exchange between two products that they had. But mostly, that was predicated on need, mm. which is an extension of use value, right? Like. These are the useful qualities of these things, and one person needs those useful qualities that somebody else has, and so mm. they they swap them kind of thing um but in that relationship, there is no acknowledgement of there being um something in those qualities in those commodities which is universally recognizable as a objective type of value i suppose mm. Mm. so one of the one of the steps that happens along the way in this. <laughs> It's quite sort of like tedious, a long journey out, drawn out exposition of all these different stages of, um, of the development from um, a very simple mode of exchange to sort of like what does he call them um, forms of value, right? Like an uh, elementary form of value and the development toward uh, the sort of total form of value that is, in essence, the money form of value. <laughs> One of the things that happens is this disti- this sort of like this question of um, how do we come to recognize something qualitatively the same about commodities which are in their sort of physical form entirely qualitatively different. Mm. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, and I will say that that was something that kind of like um, bought this all. Old- this like what we've read so far kind of a little bit like made me a little bit more comfortable with it all because like in when he's discussing value kind of like in the earlier sections it seems very like something that you're not used to when you read Marx and when you discuss Marx which is something that's you know he keeps saying that value has this like phantom-like quality that isn't material at all and if you come to this thinking like oh Marx is just going to give me like a complete like materialist explanation for capitalism and for everything like that that's pretty off-putting it was very off-putting for me I was like whoa buddy you know where are you going with that? But he makes the point that with, like, the rise of the money form, and I suppose he's saying that this was, like, uh, necessary to have capitalism, but he's saying that with the rise of the money form, um, value, like, the the money form, like, allows for value to become the regulator of exchange relations, and it allows for, like, this material, like, thing where you can, like, kind of, like, obviously it's not a one-to-one ratio at all in terms of, like, monetary like value versus like capital v value what's inside of like inherent in a a commodity but it does allow for like a material basis to build on top of to determine like a monetary price so it kind of like brings materialism back into it um as like i think capitalism obviously like requires right because you can't just like say we're just going to trade you know based upon value um without having like a material basis to do that right so it's just interesting relationship and again we were talking about like I don't know, I'm still a little confused on, like, if this was, like, chicken or the egg, like, how this relationship developed over time between, like, value and a money form. Um, But, yeah, it's just interesting and, like, I think refreshing to bring, like, materialism back into this a little bit. Yeah. And not just have everything be, like, this phantom-like quality that, like, don't worry about it, it exists.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Harvey makes that point, doesn't he? He's like, Mm. wait a minute, isn't (laughs) Marx meant to be a a materialist? And so many of his arguments hinge on these things, which have no physical like yeah, yeah, yeah. material form kind of thing mm. um but that's the, the sort of the nature of marx's materialism that social relations are material things
0: yeah um yeah
1: the the value form which is the essence of capitalism is a uh, is a material yeah. quality kind yeah, of thing yeah 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 Um, really?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm still kind of confused. I know that, um, I know that I suppose, yes, it is possible to determine the socially necessary labor time that goes into creating a product, right? A commodity, um, But again, like that's also kind of hard to marry with this idea that it is like, first of all, that's extremely complicated to do. And it's always changing with as productive forces get developed. But it's also kind of hard just to marry with this idea of like the phantom like quality of value, but then also assigning it like this material basis. It's like, yeah, it's, it's still cogitating composting (laughs) in my brain. Everything in this is like a relationship within a relationship that is a relationship in and of itself. And it's just like, oh my God, the dialectic is unfolding (laughs) before my eyes. (laughs) Yeah. As I was just saying to you, Dan, what I got from all this is that we need to bring the gold standard back.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a, um, there is certainly work being done and has been done in extrapolating from this book a sort of Marxist concept of money mm. and the question of whether Marx can furnish us with uh, with with information necessary to... Um, Sort of understand and interpret how money functions in the contemporary world, because, I mean, at least in this chapter, the the logical argument doesn't s- extend so far as mm. a money a money form which is um, abstracted totally from yeah some relationship to some physical commodity.
0: I mean, he is still basically just talking about gold. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, right? yeah. 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 And he and
1: he's, he's and he's very sort of simple and flippant in the idea that like. Mm. As, as soon as gold comes to function as the, the total form of value, mm. you have money. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like yeah. That. But th- th- there's quite a lot in this where like every transition isn't really a transition. It's just a sort of logical. It sort of lends yeah. weight to the idea of a logical argument, right? It's I like, did, oh, yeah, I actually I got to the point where logically the next thing extends from the previous thing. and yeah. like... <laughs> mm.
0: I mean, yeah, just one, one more thing to say about like the relationship between the like immaterial value. And um, the like materialness, materialismness of the money form. I just think it's really interesting how Marx makes the point that it's really you really need to understand that socially necessary labor time and like value can only really regulate itself and value and like the money form indirectly. Th- it can only regulate socially necessary labor time. Can only regulate um, value through the money form right so that like under capitalism like one needs the other to operate it's, it's yeah i don't know that's just another really interesting point of like since value is basically like just like a social relation and again like i was saying the phrase that really made me understand this was like value is immaterial but objective like it needs the money form to um to regulate i guess in capitalism and it does so indirectly through the money form but again like it's not this one-to-one relationship value to money Mm -hmm. to price right it's yeah i mean again i got to the end of this and i was like okay i see what you're saying but like there's like a million other things that go into (laughs) determining the price form and through money so it's like yeah looking forward to see how that gets developed
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean my understanding of the essential or the necessity to develop a money form of value
0: mm.
1: stems, I suppose, from the sort of like incomplete nature of some of these other forms of value that he's describing. Mm. So um, you have the elementary form of value, which is just the relationship between one commodity and another, mm. like um, one commodity exchanges for a certain quantity of another. And then you have sort of like the expanded version of that, which is that, well, that one commodity in exchanging for um one other commodity, it would be possible to say, well, that one commodity also exchanges in a similar way for mm. the entire sort of like yeah. breadth and world of commodities. Yeah, yeah. Um but for Marx there are certain flaws even with that kind of um that kind of relationship. And what you really need to be able to have a world of commodities whereby, it, as we were saying before, like that essential quality of capitalism is fulfilled, that all commodities are seen to um, bear some qualitative resemblance. They have some mm. kind of quality, mm. which is common to all of them. Mm. That thing that we've talked about before, that they're the product of Sure. Abstract, abstract human value, labor. Yeah. What does he say that they're the sort of like depositories? They're the their labor in its congealed form. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he makes another metaphor uh, with germs that I kind of found a little disgusting as well.
1: But it's it's jam packed well of metaphors. Some some of them more useful than others. <laughs> yes. Say. But yeah. It's only with the development of um one commodity which steps apart from all other commodities that you're able to then have this web of interconnecting commodities that all share the same quality, which is Mm. labor, which is the essence of capitalism kind of thing. You cannot have a um, sort of totalizing capitalist market. And you can't have um, this thing which we were saying earlier, which Marx sort of suggests is intuitive to us all, that Mm. like we live under capitalism, we just assume that everything has a value that's unique to that thing, but which is determined by um, how it relates to all other things in the world. Yeah. And you can only get to the point where you have this sort of like relationship between all commodities Mm. if you have developed this idea. Well, you can only explain how we now live in this this world Mm. um, if you go through these logical phases of... Uh, getting us to the point where you have this idea that everything can have a sort of like... A total... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A a value which is represented by its um, worth in money. Mm. Yeah. Its price. The price form. Another another form. (laughs) Another
0: goddamn form. (laughs) I have have a question. Um, We haven't talked about this yet, but I was wondering in reading this, did you get the sense that Marx was making the point that... um, under, like, primitive or, you know, earlier forms of market exchange relations, that um, a universal equivalent, like a commodity, universal equivalent, something like that, is um, inevitable? Is, it, is that kind of the point that he was making? Or is he just making the point that, like, it di- certainly didn't seem like he was making the point that it was a fluke that something like that happened. You know what I mean? So is he making, like, a point that this was just bound to happen if we have relations at, along the lines of, like, trade and something like that, that one commodity is going to show up and become the universal equivalent?
1: I suppose I s I suppose um in answering that I would think sort of think back to history, I suppose, or go back to considering the transition to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um which I guess we've 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 determined or decided. We've decided and we've we've figured dec- it We figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> we know. <laughs> I, uh which we know um resulted when human labor became disciplined to the market Mm. or rather um, people's day-to-day productive activities were all done with um, the sort of like disciplining eye of the market. (laughs) The requirement to compete with others um, creates this world in which it is possible to compare through the market the productive capacities of various different types of human labor mm. and not only that but it's necessary for a economics an economic system to exist which de- which is dependent on the imperative to um improve one's efficiencies to create more value mm. to be able to have this process of comparison mm. of um people's labor to other people's labor in the market. And therefore, as an extension of that, you also have to be able to compare the amount of labor. The the process by which that happens is through this process of attributing to all commodities a certain value which is is determined by how much labor has actually gone into making them kind of thing. So I suppose, like, if you want to, I mean, talk about it in terms of, like, um, somebody setting out a plan for how to actually have this economy. (laughs) Uh, God. (laughs) (laughs) But if through historically contingent circumstances you have found yourselves in the position of attempting to um, operate the kind of economy that I've just described, Mm -hmm. the requirement to have a universal equivalent, a... Uh, a material a a material base for that practice becomes necessary kind of thing so i suppose what you're what i'm saying here what what my answer is that like um the requirement to have that thing that universal equivalent is emergent from the transition into capitalism i suppose yeah um so then the question is like if if i recall what your question was correctly (laughs) the question is like how necessary is that in other modes of production? Sure, because I think... Because I, when... Because, sorry, because like imagine feudalism or some other mode of production where everybody is um, laboring for themselves. Sure. Um, any exchange is just sort of a supplement to uh, that form of labor, right? Sure. Um,
0: except, for, except for like longer, like trade, like longer um distance trade or even just trade because i when i when i kind of think about like gold in the roman empire or gold in like an ancient mode or even up until like you know like venice in some kind of like ancient mode like (laughs) proto-capitalist i might get heat for saying that but like um i think of like gold coins and stuff like that as appearing and this might not be true but appearing because it's like people would have just been trading in terms of like use values i need this thing you need that thing blah 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 but then you go to someone it's like okay i really want that but i don't have anything that you want to trade me for So there's just kind of, like, this development of, like, a proto-universal form of a commodity, which is just, like, gold coins. Because it's like, okay, just take these coins and exchange it for what you actually want. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's like, is that actually, like, an earlier form of the universal, like, equivalent? You know what I mean? Or is it, like, like, you're definitely right about, like, the necessity of something like that. It would certainly seem inevitable under capitalism to have, like, a money form. But, like, something like gold coins, is that, like... Is that a universal equivalent? You know what I mean? Because it certainly seems like that was definitely at least the beginning of something like a universal form, like one commodity setting itself apart, right? Maybe not. I shouldn't say commodity, but like one product. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like
1: I mean, like um, I mean, we've already come across the idea that like markets can exist in two different modes of production, but take totally different forms and fulfill different functions. Mm -hmm. Like, surely the same is true of money. Yeah, and like the transitions to capitalism didn't like it invented certain new concepts and ideas but really what it did it was just sort of took the took mm. the old as it existed and only modified them to the degree that it needed to yeah um, i my my guess would be that in the scenario you just you just described um money was being used to augment mm. an exchange of use values yeah no like, sure. it's, only yeah, like, yeah. it's only like it's only like expanding over distance or mm. over time mm. the exchange in uses mm-hmm. um
0: that makes sense yeah then i it i wonder i think that's what my question is it is first of all is that like the proto-development of a universal form and then like if it is then was that inevitable under like not non-capitalist yet uh, modes of production or just trade i suppose yeah. was it I don't know. I don't really ever want to use the word inevitable, but it certainly seemed like it. It certainly seemed like there's one commodity that everybody can agree. Like, okay, I'm a Phoenician. Um, I need more wood. Okay. You're over here. You have wood, but like, you yeah, know, there's nothing really yeah. else that I can give yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So let's just agree that like this shiny thing will work, <laughs> I guess. I don't know.
1: Yeah. But I suppose, I mean, I, but I, I suppose the question is then like, there is a, there is a universal equivalent as we're talk, as the, mm. the language worth using. Um, but what does that equivalent stand in for?
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it,
1: yeah, it's just an abstract definition to say that money is a, yeah. a universal equivalent for, but a universal equivalent for something. True, yeah, yeah. But that something is different and determined by mm. the nature of the mode of production under which mm. it's functioning, I suppose.
0: And under capitalism, and this will trans... Uh, what's the word? Transition us very nicely into the next But I just really quickly want to talk about about the bit about Aristotle where he says that what was the quote? He said something like, um, "For trade to happen, you need equality, but for equality, or something, like that, you need commensurability." And um, Marx just basically says that that's where Aristotle stops. About like because Aristotle, I suppose, basically just says, "Give up on trying to figure out what's commensurable and not give up on what trying to figure out what is uh, measurable or not in terms of labor, or in terms of production, or anything like that." And Marx is like, "Well, of course he would say that. He lived in a society with slaves that was based <laughs> upon like the natural inequality of some people." Um, I don't know if I really had a point in bringing that up other than that it was just <laughs> I mean, a it's very a, funny point. It's, it's,
1: it, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a um, useful case for elaborating this distinction, right? Like, mm. um, or uh, elucidating the argument, I suppose. Like, For things which are ostensibly different to appear as the same, you have to have find some quality in them mm. that's unique to all of them. Mm. Um and Aristotle was asking himself the same question, um, but it's only Marx and not Aristotle was able to say that labor is the universal equivalent, It's the, mm. the thing that's common to all of these commodities, because Aristotle living in a slave mode of production couldn't possibly say that all labor yeah. was equivalent.
0: Yeah, right. that's brutal. <laughs> that's so brutal. But I... No, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a valid point it's that's it's a good
1: it's, point it's a fun thing but maybe you're right maybe marx just wanted to like um <laughs> sit on his brain and like ridicule, <laughs> simpletons Ridic- like aristotle. Ridic- ridicule aristotle <laughs> that's all we want to do it's just <laughs> oh, to be aristotle. able to ridicule ourselves <laughs> one day um thought i might read that quote about um uh the specificity of the mode of production just but be- mm. of the capitalist mode of production just because um it's nice to highlight these things when they come along um what Marx is telling us is about that is unique to sure. capitalism, kind of thing. So he says, every product of labor is, at all stages of society, a use value, but is it is only at a definite historical epoch in a society's development that such a product becomes a commodity, viz. At the epoch when the labour spent on the production of a useful article becomes expressed as one of the objective qualities of the article, i.e., as its value. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean that's, that's that's just to explain all of the a lot of the things that we've said so far. That's just to uh, be evidence for the things we've been saying so far. Like mm. um, we are l- attempting to compare to um, commodities. And the unique aspect of the capitalist mode of production is that it has cast as a material quality of all commodities that um, they are the product of undifferentiated human labor.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Which I suppose there is a certain amount of commensurability of that under capitalism, which is I think another like large point here. Um, yeah. Was there anything else that we wanted to bring up? I did, really quickly, I would like to just say that last paragraph of the Harvey, where he was discussing this about the space, you have temporal relationships of all the different types of value under capitalism was really, really interesting about, um, I would just say, honestly, I'm not going to do it justice. So if, dear listener, if you're interested in that, just go look it up. But it is interesting to see like, how space and time relate to use value, to exchange value, and to value. I thought that was uh, quite good. So kudos, Harvey.
1: Yeah, so a final thought for me. <laughs> a little bit of a monologue, perhaps. Let's hear it. Um, so we've talked about this. The, the the first form in which this relationship appears is the elementary form. It's the simple exchange between two commodities. You have one commodity that's, that Marx is def- defines as the relative and one that uh, Marx defines as the equivalent. And Marx puts a lot of stock and most of his analysis is interested in this function of... Um, the equivalent
0: mm.
1: mostly because as the log- as the argument develops it is this equivalent which actually develops into the money form right mm. like um you have a commodity and you're trying to decide what it's work out what its value is and it's only in relation to some, some other commodity that you can reveal um what its value is and it's only in relationship to the equivalent that you can determine what the value of the the relative commodity is sure okay and these dif- these two forms are like fulfilling different functions, right? Um, and I spent a long time trying to struggle through like <laughs> what are the various functions that these things fulfill. Um,
0: Dan, I, I saw uh, 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 Dan's wall recently, and Dan does indeed it's, have it's, a cork board and red string going on. So crazy. <laughs> <It's pretty crazy. laughs> that's all I'm going to say. It's
1: on the back of my eyes <laughs> all the time. Um. So, but really, all I wanted to say was something that I decided. I'd sort of settled on as being one, one, one uh, outcome of all of my uh, corkboard and red <laughs> st- stringery. <laughs> um, I'd sort of settled on the idea that something very peculiar is happening in this ex- this expanded form, and I think it's something which explains quite a lot of the things that we have um, we have so far encountered in Capital. Mm. So I'll just rattle through these very quickly. There are three sort of like peculiarities as Marx describes them, or in this translation Marx describes them, yeah. <laughs> to the equivalent form. One is that it's the equivalent form that allows mediates this relationship between use value and value and allows for the use value of one commodity to become um measured by another and therefore emerge as value in the abstract. Mm. So one of the things it's doing is mediating this peculiar relationship between use value and value. Um, and as an extension of that, it one of the, the other the other peculiarity is that um in this process, in this relationship process, concrete labour becomes abstract. So it's a way for you to take the concrete labour of one commodity and sort of transpose it into abstract labour kind of thing. Dematerialize it. You de- <laughs> As a good old Marxist one. <laughs> um yeah. Dematerialize it um, only in, to rematerialize in, into it into the pattern buffer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, some savvy transporter chief will work out how to rematerialize <laughs> it in the future. Um, and also, the, the the third thing that happens as an extension from the first two um, is that the the private labor of an individual person, which is the concrete labor, which is also rep- which also creates the use value becomes transposed or transmuted into social labor, mm. something which is mm. um, like um, socially re- recognized. I suppose it becomes mm. um, it takes on some kind of like social substance that is separate from the 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 labor that's gone into making an individual commodity mm. and makes it something which can be compared to all of the commodities. Mm. Um, So I just wanted to run through those three things because like um, it's in this process of the transition from a very simple type of exchange to the sort of like fully developed capitalist money economy Mm. um, that some of these sort of dialectal relationships are resulting, some of of the synthesis that we've described are now being like explained in this chapter. Absolutely.
0: And I will say, too, very, very well said, um, if anything that perhaps I have said uh, in this, or if you're just one of those commies that, like, reads this and is like, bro, just money isn't real. Who gives a fuck? I would say that is not the, I think, correct take on this, yeah. on this section. Because I think what Marx is saying is that, okay, money is kind of like, it's, it's kind of like not the best thing in the world, but it also has, like, this very clear social uh element to it and the relations that you experience because of the money form are indeed very real mm-hmm. so don't mm-hmm. ever forget that yeah. kids <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it's it's not made up and don't don't, <laughs> don't like listen to some of these some of these bon grit takes that you get from people who like money man it's just it's like, money bro i mean yeah it, it it is it is a social relationship but it's an incredibly important and material one of course and it yeah. does need to be overturned mm. but it's not just a matter of like thinking Thinking it
0: ripping, ripping uh, the form away as we will mm-hmm. call it, bong ripping mm-hmm. the form away,
1: and the, and 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 it, on oh, oh, f- further to that point, like sometimes you'll hear people casting money as the mm. as the embodiment of the sort of the mm. evil. Sure, that's of a good point as well. mm. um, And it's not the money. Yeah, you have to look a bit deeper. It's not the money, it's, folks. It's the social relations of capitalism itself, mm. of which the money is just an emergent quality.
0: If there are any communists out there who think that, though. Feel free to donate your money, honestly. Just get rid of it. It's not good. Money is still bad, folks. And just- give, give it to someone's patron. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, all right. Communism. It's it sounded better every day, I'll be <laughs> honest. Tomorrow I read about this capitalism thing. It's sounding better every day. Um, so we'll be back next time.
1: If, if only in that, the book
0: Communism <laughs> yeah. will hopefully be quite a lot shorter and quite a lot exactly. less wordy. And, yeah, and a lot easier to understand. <laughs> um, we'll be back, dear listener, probably with to just finish out chapter one next time, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, which is we're section getting, four, yeah. where we're getting into... Very excitable. Very, very exciting fetishism of commodities, which sounds sexy. <laughs> 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 All right, so we'll be back with that. Um, and yes, in the meantime... Um, Deb and I will be struggling with those seven pages so hope you enjoyed that. If anybody <laughs> has any takes they'd like to share with us um, share away either on Instagram, Twitter or for a lot of corrections that have been being made by one very faithful listener um, YouTube. In the YouTube comments In the YouTube comments. Like, share, and subscribe <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Rate five stars Alright, we'll see everybody next time